Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Late night, midnight on the interstate. I didn't feel so great until I saw the city. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, our first show, I believe, in almost two months exactly. I'm just looking real quick. Yep, two months exactly. Cam Talbot was my last guest back on October, almost two months exactly, back on October 14th. We put it in off-season mode, but uh, what a perfect time to come out of off-season mo- mode. I have a... Man, uh, the perfect first guest, somebody that I've known for well over 20 years. It's just crazy. I covered him his first two years in the NHL. He scored 50 goals those first two years in the NHL with the Florida Panthers. was ultimately traded to the New York Islanders, and his career just erupted from there. 216 NHL goals, an Olympic Games, an All-Star Game. And, uh, man, Mark, I've written, I'm talking to Mark Parrish, I've written so many stories on you. I mean, I bet you probably, <laughs> what, 50, 50 features on you. This one might have been the most emotional and most honest. Yeah, you know, uh, yes, man. Boy, when you say it like that, we're getting old, buddy. We're getting, we're getting up yeah. there, 20-some years, and yeah, it's, uh, we've, we've covered the gamut, I think, you and me. Yeah, which is why, Mark, it was, it was sort of fitting that I, I got to be the one to write that story last week, that you trusted me. It was just one of those things. It's, you know, who would have thought that I would be there at the beginning of your ride through the NHL and still 22 years later... I'm still writing about you. And, and um, if anybody doesn't know the story, you can go to theathletic.com slash wild and, and read a very emotional story, a very courageous story that Mark Parrish told uh, the other day um, about your alcoholism and your recovery and being sober publicly, which can't be easy. What, first of all, has it been like since that story Ran because, as you know, both of us, I think, were pretty much nervous the night before. <laughs> nervous, yes, that's a good way to put it, nervous. Uh, yeah, and, you know, to go back just a second, too, you know, it's funny, Mike, because I didn't want to, I mean, when I first checked into rehab, I, I, my wife, Ben Clymer, they were talking to me, and they right away were like, you got to tell your story, and, and my first response was, F that, I'm not telling a soul. And then a couple weeks into uh, rehab, uh, realizing that, yeah, I, I, not only do I have to, I want to tell that story, and not another person even came to mind. I knew exactly who I was calling. I knew exactly who I was going to trust with that story. It was with you, with our history, and not to mention just your prowess as, as a writer and everything like that. I just knew that you could write the story perfectly, and you did. You knocked it out of the park. Uh, and it's And then to go to your question 
it is holy cow has it reached uh people that i didn't expect it's reached them in a way i didn't expect uh i had a, a an initial wave of it had to have been close to 400 text messages i, I don't know exactly how much it was but i mean it took me a long time to get mm. just to get into the 200 as i was responding people <laughs> two or three people two or three texts would come through it was it was crazy i it it, it got more attention I've received more text from this than I did the day I got named to the Olympic team. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's not even a joke. And, and it's just, uh, it, it's been amazing. The, the, the positive response. I, uh, I, I, I expected it would be more positive than negative, negative, but overwhelmingly positive. And, and not just, uh, as we've discussed before, not just the hockey world and, you know, friends and family, and, and, you know, you assume that they're going to support you. They're, they're kind of a given. But uh, my my real concern was was from the AA community, from the twelve step community, uh, how that would be taken because of uh, one of the uh, AA mantras is you know is uh, anonymity in press, radio, and film. And there was a lot of discussion uh, I had with my sponsor, with my therapist, and and again, everyone was just telling me, no, no, you got to go ahead and do this. This is going to help more people. Uh, then you realize, and it, and it truly has, and and the the immediate response from people that I got, uh, it just blew my mind. Even for just people emailing into Chris Hockey that morning, uh, Thursday morning on the radio show, uh, the first I don't know half a dozen people he said were people that were you know pondering it, kind of thought they might have an issue, and decided that they needed to reach out and get help, and hopefully they did. Uh, to my favorite, my personal favorite story was uh, a good friend of mine who's out here in Minnesota has been in recovery for 13 years. He, he grew up with a, with a woman, 25 years she's been battling addiction, uh, interventions, you know, the family stepping in, friends trying to talk to her, nothing helped. And, and they actually just, you know, got to a point where they stayed away from her because they couldn't see what, what, they couldn't watch what she was doing to herself. Mm-hmm. All he did was send her this article and she was checked into treatment by noon. And and that's just, I mean, that goes to, uh, obviously, uh, uh, you know, I'm thankful that I was able to be open and completely honest in my comfort level with you and your ability to write such a compelling story. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And it it is, I mean, the response is more overwhelming than I ever thought. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, as you were talking right now, I just got a, a text message from a player that used to play in the NHL for a long, long time saying how it was an inspiring story. And, and that was what I think really touched me the day that this story came out, uh, Mark, is the amount of NHL players, former and current, that reached out and thought that this story could be a real eye-opener and inspiring to the fact, to the point that they were all talking about it on their internet system and things like that. Yeah, and which blows my mind. I, I, I didn't even... I didn't even think about that. I kind of feel bad, obviously, with us both being so connected uh, into the NHL for our entire lives, obviously, and adult lives. Uh, I, I just, it never even crossed my mind. And, and same thing here, actually. Uh, 
uh, right after we uh, started to set this up, I got uh, text messages from Matt Cullen, Tommy Pricing, all the, you know, so they, they just keep coming in and phone calls I've gotten still. Uh, it's it's overwhelming and it's you know it's funny is uh, <laughs> I uh, you know I did this story in a selfish way there was an anxiety hanging over my head and, and knowing I was going to tell the story and then it got to the point where well pre uh, shut lockdown again from this COVID uh, you know running into people at the hockey rink for for my kids practice and and just running into people in in random places stores Target whatever it may be uh, and having this do they know. Do they don't do they not know should should i tell them now is this the right spot like there was just this overwhelming anxiety that was starting to get to me because i felt like it was this deep dark secret and and, and being a person that's been uh, i would say maybe more fortunate than unfortunate to to live their life in the media and everything being publicly known uh i i just i had to do it and and now on the flip side i've i've got this anxiety because i can't get back to everyone that's reached out and i feel bad so it's it's hysterical how it's turned but this is a good anxiety compared to what i was <laughs> feeling but that's i mean it's a great point right because you know you now you're like i remember the last question I asked you when we sat in your house uh, way back in early November was, what are you trying to achieve with this story? Because it was so candid, so courageous. And, you know, I knew like my my mind was spinning because I knew what this story, like how tr how honest you were with everybody. And I remember you, you basically saying that you were you were tired of being uncomfortable around people, of lying and also wondering who knew. Yeah. And but the other thing selfishly that you said is. I'm also kind of I like I want everybody to know because now it it gives this new level of accountability. You know, there people are going to now not come up to you with a shot or beer because everybody <laughs> loves Mark Parrish. I mean, you are the lovable guy. If you run into a bar, you're the friendliest person in the world. So people now, it, you just assume everybody knows. Yeah, no, and it, and it's great, and I, I I do love that, and yeah, and part of the, I again most nervous about now when you look at the story itself was the honesty was was the was the small details. Uh, and, and even uh, Nikki, you know, hey, are you sure you want to you want to go that far <laughs> when she saw the article that you wrote? And, and I said, absolutely. And uh, my thought process behind that was purely for uh, the alcoholic or the addict that is out there suffering. If I would have sugarcoated anything, if I would have glazed over any part of, of my God shot of when I hit rock bottom, you know, and thankfully when Lotsie was out there and called me on it. I know an addict brain because I have an addict brain and you would they would have seen right through it. They would have pushed it right off. It wouldn't have gotten to the people that I truly, truly intended it to get to for help. And, and that the, the story about the, the one woman who was 25 years, that's exactly a testament to where I was. After I heard that, that was where I, I was so thankful that I didn't hold back. That that I did just be completely honest because because I said I know had 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 she seen that not a sugar coated that rock bottom she'd have pushed it right off just like any other of her friends talking to her or the intervention she wouldn't even thought about it but that was the hope that it would and again to the way you wrote it it, it the way it's touched people I. I wish I'm still trying to find the words. My I need a thesaurus. I need a better vocabulary because the thank you I feel like just isn't strong enough. But really, it's it's all I have. 
Well, no, I mean, you don't have to thank me for anything, but, uh, you know, I genuinely appreciate it. It was humbling that you entrusted me into um, into allowing me to tell this story. And, I, you know, I got the sweetest uh, message from your wife and, and also from you. And this story is very much, Mark, about friendship. And, and you know, again, if you haven't read the story and you're listening, I highly recommend you go into theathletic.com slash wild. But there are, are sort of three main scenes in this uh, story. And one is in that hotel room in Jersey and subsequently before that when you when you were, uh, you know, at NHL Network. <laughs> Um, the, the next day, the whole process of going to rehab with Ben Clymer and then, and then being at rehab, but how, uh, the one thing I didn't realize until I was trying to get pictures for the story and I tried to get in touch with NHL network to try to see if I can get a picture of you and Lotzi on set is that you guys didn't do a lot of shows together. So it was really serendipity that your former agent, your longtime friend, a guy that signed you with the Tampa Bay lightning happened to be working with you that day, had the guts to say something to you, and then essentially set this all up. Yeah, it's uh, my wife, my, you know, I was just over visiting with my parents uh, a couple days ago, uh, and we still talk about that. And, and uh, if it weren't for, if, if it weren't for Lawton, and not only if it just weren't Lotsy, if, if, if it were anyone else that maybe would have brought it up or any other friend, uh, again, I would have pawned off just like the many times now that I realize how many times, uh, not just Lotsy, Climber, Hedick, and my brother, wife, parents, everybody like tried to, you know, in their own way say, hey man, you, you need help. And I just, again, uh, the addict's brain, just no, I just push it off to the side, push it off to the side. And if there was anyone but Brian Lawton, you know, like like you said, my former agent represented me for I don't know how many years of my career, you know, watched me grow up since I was 18. It was a part of my life. Had it not just been him at that moment, been there, like you said, we hadn't worked a ton together and and it hadn't been him. I probably would have just again gone like, now, come on, let's go. Let's go do the story. You know, had it, had it been uh, Weeksy, had it been anybody else that would have grabbed me in that um uh, after that meeting, I would have pushed it off. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's terrifying to say, but, but we asked how, many, how much longer would I have lasted? Would I have lasted another week? After I went in and all my numbers and the doctors seeing where I was at uh, medically, uh, you know, major organ functions and all that, where they were, you know, would I have lasted much longer? And, and he truly, truly, truly saved my life. And, and uh, the one thing I never thought about that is the how much courage, uh, how nervous Lotsy was, mm-hmm. you know, to bring that up just because of that. Maybe I pushed him off. Maybe I blow it off. Maybe it pushes me deeper down the rabbit hole. And, and that's something that uh, I didn't, uh, I don't want to say I didn't give Lotsy enough credit or just didn't think of early on, but the, but the courage he showed uh, by standing up to me was, is incredible. And it saved my life. Bottom line, it saved my life. The other thing about Lots, Lawton that really, um, you know, I really grew to respect during the process of reporting this story is that he really comes off as a hero here. And yet he was the one guy that almost pushed back to you the most about <laughs> having this story written. Right? I mean, he did not. I remember he knew... I had sat down with you already for a couple hours. He knew that you and I had been talking all summer, and yet he still needed to call you. He he told me right now, like, I'm not trying to submarine your story, but I am going to call Mark before I do this interview with you and make sure that this is absolutely what he is wanting to do because he knew 
how honest uh, you told all your friends tell them everything tell them everything tell yep. them everything which is insane yeah it, well and, and one of the reasons that yes i remember that phone call vividly and and, and lots of was you sure are you sure are you sure <laughs> he definitely wanted to make sure and there was i at, at that point i had no doubt in my mind i was absolutely and yeah i talked to my brother everyone you talk to be honest talky everybody i spoke with um bec- and one of the reasons was was because well, I wanted to make sure that honesty came across what I was legit going through from other people's eyes because of my brain, because of that, that, that addiction, addictive brain. Um, the one thing I realized in rehab was how much of a liar I was. It never dawned on me how much I was lying to everyone else because my brain had tricked me so much that I didn't even realize I was lying. It, 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 they were and they just came out just i mean holy cow could you know can an addict lie i mean we, we've got loaded with excuses uh you know we can make sure you know we justify everything so i wanted that perspective from my close friends because i i felt like that perspective was even more important than mine because they didn't have the clouded judgment of alcohol <laughs> watching me go through this where i was where i thought my judgment was is was and is probably still a little skewed as some of the stuff I, I i flat out just don't really remember because i was drunk yeah man it's just crazy uh, we're talking with mark parish uh long time nhler um best role best known for your role in super troopers too by the way. Um, <laughs> don't blink you might miss it <laughs> yeah i know uh but you know, you know, you know what was interesting when we were doing the story actually about super, you know, to talk about super troopers real quick is that you, you know you you said that throughout the years you had good times and bad times, times where you were drinking way too much, times where you took breaks, times where everything was under control. And I actually remember, um, and if, if people don't know, um, uh, we're we're friends with Eric Stolhansky and Steve Lemmy and those guys from Broken Lizard, and we actually went to the Super Troopers two set uh, two or three Labor Days ago with Paul Fletcher, our mutual friend. And we hung out there for three days, and I actually—I mean, I remember vividly. You—you were not—you know—you were not like spending the all weekend drinking. It was just a normal weekend. I mean, you—you you did go through sort of that ebbs and flows with this disease, right? Uh, I did, and uh, you know, I re- remembering that weekend too, um, and being on set, and obviously not—they they didn't have alcohol on set, uh, and <laughs> I was legit concerned about that. I, I honestly mm-hmm. was going there and going there. I was like, man, you know, how am I going to like just stay calm, stay calm. My anxiety that weekend was actually pretty high. It was It was a lot of nervous, like, okay, you know, am I going to be able to have a drink? Uh, you know, because I, I mean, there was few days that I literally kind of went without completely. Like I would, yeah, like there were certain days it was like, I, you know, just hey, a nightcap or just here and there. But those days were always my toughest. So I remember having to prepare to, to go to this. Like, okay, you're, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, get up and drink. You're not going to be able to drink on set, you know. And, and uh, there was one time where uh, for lunch when we were, the, you know, the day yep. where we really sat through it. Like, I, I don't know if you remember, but I was really pushing to get off set because I, I was so nervous yeah, that I'd start that. sweating. I'd start showing these signs. Of course, the, that I... I didn't realize that I had a problem. It was just that I needed a drink to, you know, calm down. Because, yeah. you know, everybody yeah. does. So like that, when we went back to lunch, I just was the relief when we finally went into town and had lunch and I could just have a few drinks was 
it was incredible. And I was like, all right, let's go. Yeah. I was excited to get back. All right, let's get back to the set. No, now I don't have to worry about, you know, when's my next one coming or, or anything <laughs> like that. But yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it's funny, but you, you know, the, the mental preparation uh, that I, that I was so used to having, like, you know, getting ready for a weekend away, like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to spend three days up at grandma Mary's. So do I need, am I going to need three bottles? Ah, is it going to be really stressful? Should I bring a fourth, you know, having that preparation, uh, and then having to go where I knew that it would be, I don't know. I think it might've been a little bit of a red flag and that goes to trying to hide, you know, the shame of hiding your, the addiction, the, the, uh, uh yeah, the, the addiction, the alcoholism was, I can't bring a bottle with me on set. Can I, <laughs> you know, yeah. like those thoughts legit crossed my mind and I didn't think twice about them. That was just, that was normal day-to-day operations for me. Interesting. Well, your, your performance in the movie was just absolutely awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I still think that you, well, first of all, you totally uh, stole the spotlight from Paul Fletcher. Um, yeah. But oh, uh, it was totally. an absolutely great, great scene in the, in the movie. Um, so then, I mean, so again, uh, you've you've got to read the story to really know all the details here. But uh, Brian comes and knocks on your door that morning. He finds the bot vodka. You muster up this courage to ask for help. Uh, it was yeah. a horrible night for you, right? Terrible. I, I was. I was. I had accepted that moment, you know, after the 4.30, after the second time, waking up and thinking I had a panic attack and then having that one sip and boom, uh, you know, all of a sudden I felt normal. Uh, I re- I mean, it was it was obvious. At that point, it was like, crap, I, I need help. So I literally spent the rest of the night, except for the maybe that I fell asleep for like an hour or two, of course, right when Lassie, right, right when I was supposed to meet Lotsy for breakfast and, and, and be ready for it, which I uh, unfortunately scared the hell out of him on that. And I, I feel bad about that as well. But uh, just sat up from 4.30 till 8 or whatever it might have been the night when I finally kind of dozed off. Uh, probably passed out is probably a better word for it. I, you know, just drinking, knowing I had to say that, but horrified of that moment. And, and uh, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was ready. Like, okay, he's going to come in. He's going to say, oh, I'm, I'm just going to say, hey, Lotsy, uh, you know, you're right. And I had this, and I'm, tr- I'm preparing this great, you know, monologue that I'm going to tell him and everything like that. And when the door, not when he knocked on the door, when I finally opened it for him. Uh, I, and I'm, again, I'm glad you spoke with him because I don't remember a thing he said. I mean, I know he was talking, uh, probably asked me how I was doing in the morning and, and I could not think of anything else. And I'm trying to figure out how to, how do I say this? All right. What's the, what's the perfect opening line? Like, how do I, how do I mention this? And finally it was just, uh, I couldn't think of anything. Well, I couldn't even think my mind was just racing and I need help just came out. It, it, that was all, that was all I could say about it. I, I, I you know, this was this whole monologue that I had. Uh, planned out in my head it was just simply those three words and uh, I was just so blown away and I'm so thankful for how he reacted how he handled it like I you know you you always get you you always think the worst or plan for the worst so I you know I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for him to just sit me down and you know give me the father-son talk and anything like that and there was nothing like that I mean he couldn't have been more calm he couldn't have been better about it. He's just like, okay, all right, yeah. And then, you know, then where is it? Let's, all right. And, you know, with it, it felt like 10 minutes, but it might have been an hour where, you know, I showered and he went out and all of a sudden he came back. He's like, all right, pray, this is what you're going to do. And he had it all planned out, which, uh, again, was perfect because I didn't have to think then. It, the, the relief yeah. 
uh, with the way he handled it, with finally saying it, without even knowing how much this was hanging over me, it was was an amazing relief, uh, similar to the one that I felt, you know, when the article came out. Yeah, the uh, you know it, and, and what you were saying is that you had no clue that um, that Brett Hedekin, Ben Clymer, and Brian Lawton had been talking for a long, long time about being fearful for you and wanting yeah. to help and uh and i know that you know it, it doesn't appear in the story it was one of the things that that we had to trim out but brett hedekin up at his place in brainerd one year that's when and again brett lives in california so he doesn't yeah. see you on an everyday basis but that's when he really realized just watching you drink that there was something going on there but one of the touching things in this story which just again shows friendship is that ben Clymer not only buys you your ticket from Minnesota to Phoenix, but he books himself yeah. a round-trip ticket next to you, um, which just, to me, says so much about, um, you know, I think it it says so much about you, the person, that all these people went to such an extent to help you. It blows my mind. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I love those guys. Uh, and, yeah, like you said, it had a, and, I, and I asked him. Uh, when, when it was and when he told me that that had been like five years and he was the first one to pick up on it you know he was the one that brought it to Benny and and, and Lotzi's attention uh, Nikki had you know had some concerns but also was was watching me deal with this anxiety too so she uh, in, in her own way kind of allowed me to justify it because she saw how I was day to day with uh, that anxiety um, and again you know it's like one of those like thank you isn't enough and i've thanked them all so profusely that i literally think they're annoyed at this point <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah okay okay that's enough like let's just get help please like that. <laughs> just stay sober and and it just blows my mind especially to think about uh you know some of the the things that i've done and and uh, going back and talking to those guys and asking them you know what were some of the clues and then them telling me some of the texts that i sent them and it's just it's it's embarrassing flat out embarrassing there's no other way to put it and the way that those guys instead of turning their back and like well i don't know what the fuck's wrong with perry screw him uh still you know just surrounding me with the love and, and never giving up i don't i mean i don't know how many times lotsy and climber uh hey let's go to lunch and i'd go to i'd go to lunch and they're you sure you're okay and i'm sitting there just pounding coffee of course because if i can i don't, can't have alcohol you better give me something and caffeine is the only one there and uh, uh you know them just they're trying in their own way and yet never doing it to a point uh to offending me for to you know to really pushing me away or, or or me you know even secluding myself which which i did quite a bit uh it, it just again it just blows my mind uh how much that uh you know realizing how much they care for me and that they love me it's just it's 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 over, that's overwhelming into itself yeah good question from uh stick on ice guy which is such a great twitter name yes it is um, yeah you, um how much did anxiety and depression fuel your drinking or was alcohol alcoholism the original issue when you look back you said you learned a lot about yourself in rehab looking back um you know concussions were a huge problem yep. for you the type of style that you played you were always you know you were a net crasher you played the style of dino cicerelli so you're always just getting knocked to the ice in the day and age when you could cross-check guys constantly and not get penalized um do you think that this was a, a you know a problem that stemmed before, or was this ingrained playing hockey? It was. It would definitely stem before. Uh, mm -hmm. It was concussions. 
Uh, I had just had the back-to-back concussions. I, they were like a month or two apart here in Minnesota, uh, and, and I, I never really, I never healed from those. I never got a chance to heal from those, uh, and even uh, to where some of the, the medical guys in the wild, uh, you know, how the, the doctors, and I'm not pointing fingers, just, just like how the, I was never cleared from those, con- I was never technically cleared from those concussions uh, when uh, I was bought out. So, so when those concussions and then the anxiety of the buyout, uh, it was it was that anxiety, and, that, and that's what the great the great thing about uh, rehab, you know, about getting that treatment, was to be able to go back and, and you know, it's not about the alcoholism when you're in, it's not about the addiction, it's it's about the you know the inner child they call it there the meadows. It was about why, where was that? So you really got to dig deep and find out and find the find the find the the, the reason that you did turn to alcohol for that because it's, uh, you know, you don't well yes there's a disease and you, you know, there's a, there's an alcoholic disease and the trait that you're predisposed and all that. That, but there's usually some kind of trigger that'll send that in. And what is that trigger? And I got to work on that immensely. They, they did a lot. I did a lot of neurofeedback. Uh, one of the reasons I went to where I went in the meadows in Wickenburg, Arizona, was because they handled. Uh, they had the best c- concussion for the brain trauma. So I did a ton of one-on-one work working on that tr- that brain trauma, that neurofeedback, EMDR, and, and all this therapeutic to work on my damaged brain, which, of course, I never gave a chance to heal because that anxiety that kicked in where, where I should have sought more help, where I should have been a squeaky wheel here in Minnesota. Unfortunately, alcohol is just, well, it's easier you don't need a prescription. You don't need a doctor's appointment, mm-hmm. and it works really well. It, it really does, and and it just got worse and worse. And and at that point, when I made that, took that first drink, or when I realized uh, that this that alcohol worked, I was done. That that was the point where my brain took over, and you know it would just the the alcoholic disease, where my brain was like, all right, I like this. Alcohol works. So in turn it would just kick out more and more anxiety. So the more I drank, the more anxiety would come out. So that's what I literally was, as I, in my head, I, I'm doing what helps, what works, you know, having a quick drink before I have to do a podcast, let's say with, you know, with Arthur Stapler, or having to do have, take a drink before I, well, hell, did anything, was, was literally, I, I was hurting myself and I was just digging myself deeper and deeper into a hole. And uh, until, I fi- until I finally got that work done on my head and, and getting the right uh, medical help, uh, whether medical treatment, whether it's, you know, some anti-anxiety meds, doing EMDR, uh, meditating, yoga, you know, all these, all these things that would, that would help and heal my brain, uh, I was just destroying it more and more. So is that what you do now? Because it is interesting just listening to you. I mean, the one thing I learned from you doing this story is that you never heal. You're always in recovery. It's always day one. But what do you do to compensate for alcohol? You know, there's always going to be stresses. There's always going to be a hit on NHL Network or Mm -hmm. being on the fan or doing a podcast or a fight with the wife, you know, (laughs) something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like so I mean you know and you're always you're never always going to be in a position well all right I, I, I can go and do yoga now um, so <laughs> what how do you how do you 
you, you know, for lack of a better term, compensate for what you used to do? Uh, you know, that it's it's a lot of, of meditation uh, is what I can do is, is you know, actually uh, just before this story, I started to get yeah. overwhelmed with the phone calls and, and texts and everything again. Uh, and and, and I, I just, you know, hey, guys, can you, and you guys, thankfully, you know, just gave me a few minutes and I did a quick 10 minute meditation. Uh, I, I wasn't uh, I still was. Uh, off. I, I didn't feel very good afterwards. And uh, I, I went up and I grabbed my wife and, and I said, I, I, Nick, I can't settle down. I, I need some help. And, and you know what? It sounds silly, but just giving her a hug, just, just holding her for a few minutes and listening to her breath and her having a calming breath. And then I, I settle down and there it is. So when I, when, it, when I can do something like that, obviously I have time, but when I don't, uh, the one thing I've learned uh, is that doing the things and, and uh, well, I can't say the name that, that, that through AA um, that, that helped me through this and made me realize it, but uh, it, was, it was another former player. Um, and, and he's like, you know, I've learned too that doing the things you don't want to do, when, you, when you're in that state, you literally don't want to do anything. I, me, my, my, my instinct is snap is just to, to take a nap, which is perfect because I'm good at napping, uh, and, and just shut down, like shut off the world for a while. But, but bottom line is when you do the things you don't want to do, it helps. It, 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 you, the, then the next time comes a little bit easier and the next time comes a little bit easier. So even as I'm, my mind's racing and, and, and I'm sitting here thinking like, I wonder if they can reschedule. I wonder if they can reschedule. I just remind myself like, hey, if you do this, it's going to get you one step closer. It's, it's going to help you in the long run because, as you said, this is, this is a, I'm in recovery for the rest of my life. You know, I, I loved the tweets and I've gotten some texts from uh, people that, hey, congratulations, you beat this. And, and I've reminded every single one, like, there's no beating this. This is, I'm in recovery. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict for life. And it's just one day at a time and, and getting through it and doing the things that make me uncomfortable because they'll make me better in the long run. Yeah, I've gotten so many tweets and, and texts and emails from people that have shared their stories that you touched uh, so well. And I, that to me is just what's been so uplifting about this story. And, and frankly, you know, I got such tunnel vision that I'm just writing about Mark Parrish, almost not thinking about all the people that you're going to help. And I think that you've done a lot of uh, incredible uh, good here. Um, the one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling here, I'm looking at, I got f probably 500 pages of transcripts of all the interviews that I, that I did here between everybody that I talked to for this story. And one of the ones that just happened to just fall like right from the Mark Parrish transcript that I think um, was an interesting part of our sit down in the in your basement that one day in early November was I asked you point blank what can hockey do better and you, and you basically said you don't blame hockey at all that that yes hockey has always been this sort of party hard play hard atmosphere but the reality is is that you've played with hundreds and hundreds of players that never fell into addiction issues that it's still at the end of the day does wind up being an individual choice to potentially fall into us. I mean, do, do you honestly believe that or, or, you know, or can they do stuff that would, would aid in this, uh, in this uh, process? I, I think, you know, I, I still do believe that to a point. Uh, I think that now, like I said, the discussions with you talk with NHLers, former NHLers, people that are, that are in the grips of the disease and in the not, first of all, it's a disease uh, and it's ingrained in us. Uh, 
you know, it's it's us, all of us that are addicts and alcoholic. Uh, it is something that's just waiting to pop its head. It doesn't always in some people, but you know, if, if you have that genetic code, uh, you know that that you're predisposed to more or less find something. So, and I understand that. But uh, the one thing I so I, I don't blame the hockey world. You can't blame the hockey world for something for genetics. Um, but. That being said, I think that the hockey can the hockey community can do better on uh, educating, educating teams and teammates, uh, looking for the signs of, of guys that that may be in trouble that that might be struggling, uh, you know. And, and again, I'm not putting it on my former teammates; it's not their fault or anything like that, or the organizations. But I think educating it more. Uh, and get prepared for teammates because there are so many too. Not not the you know the, the majority like uh, like you said can handle it, uh, and, and they they can. And, and yes, it because it is such a part of the uh, the NHL world. You know, as you said, the work hard, play hard. Uh, that I think that 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 it does some responsibility does fall on. Uh, the teammates, the organizations on, on picking up on the signs, on, on recognizing somebody that may need help and, and maybe catching it a little bit earlier. But that's the one thing I think the hockey world can do better is, is just educate teammates uh, so, so they can spot it, so they're ready for it. Because uh, I've had yeah. multiple teammates, uh, you know, from the Islanders, from the Wild, that, that have, you know, called and apologized for, you know, wish we could have done something better. And, and this story goes across the board with uh, the former players that, that have uh, gone through this disease, uh, excuse me, that are going through this disease, um, that, that so many, when we call and we apologize and we try and make amends, it's, it's overwhelming how many of the responses, you know what, I'm sorry. I should have noticed or we should have noticed, you know. So I think that's one thing looking at it that the high was just educate everyone a little bit more on this and be a little bit more uh, concerned uh, about the realities of, of playing in the NHL, what it might do and what it could possibly do to, to those of us that are predisposed. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mark, uh, contributor on uh, the fan here in Minnesota, as well as NHL Network, longtime NHLer, uh, most of his time spent with the uh, Florida Panthers his first two years, and uh, the Islanders obviously uh, also played for uh, the Wild and a, and a, a number of other teams. Uh, by the way, on the, uh, I don't want to say it like that. Hey, that's a um, test. Can you name them all? <laughs> I think... It's it it is kind of funny. Uh, I was looking. I when I was writing the story, I'm like, I didn't remember that you played for the uh, L.A. Kings or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just um, 
<laughs> it's pretty funny. By the way, if you are listening uh, to this podcast and you read The Athletic, um, lots of incredible podcasts uh, throughout their network. And this week, especially, uh, Brian Burke joins Leafs Pod with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. Uh, Nick Felino and his wife, Janelle, join Aaron Portsline and Allison Lucan this week on Front Nationwide at The Athletic. I'm going to have to send that to Marcus Felino. It's going to put a lot, of, a lot of pressure on his wife, Natasha, to now join me on uh, next week's Ooh. show. Um, and then NHL agent Pat Brisson, who I did a father-son story on him and his uh, son, Brendan, uh, who plays for the University of Michigan. He joins uh, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebron this week on two-man advantage. Uh, Pat is one of my favorite people, power agent. He's got more than a billion dollars in uh, contracts, uh, long-term wow. contracts in the NHL right now. More wow. Guys like Tavares and Kane and Crosby and uh, I think Taves, Giroux, McKinnon, Jones, Jake Gardner. Uh, I think the Hughes brothers, Marcia. So, wow. you know who he also has? Tyson Barry. Oh, yeah. Didn't you, did you play with Len Barry? Uh, yes, I did in Florida. Oh, my Lord, <laughs> is he a riot. Len, Len was my, like my, one of my favorite players to deal with. And uh, I used to quote him so much. <laughs> and he played like, he played like six minutes a night. And the first, qu- first quote in every story would be Len Barry. And I remember once. Uh, I'll just say it. Who cares? He's not listening. But Dwayne Sutter comes up, comes up to me, and Len Berry was scratched that night. And Dwayne came up to me. He goes, "Can you do me a favor? Uh, I'm not playing Lenny tonight. Can you not make him the first quote in your story?" <laughs> <laughs> he was just such a great quote. So I told uh, Tyson that story once in the Colorado locker room. So, uh, so that's this week on the Athletic, all the podcasts. Uh, back here with Mark Parrish. It is funny how long I've known you, Mark. I mean. Yeah. Um, you go back. I, I tell this story to people, all the, and it totally, to me, epitomizes fans, right? <laughs> so in 1998, Brian Murray trades Tom Fitzgerald, fan favorite, to the Colorado Avalanche for the for Mark Parrish. And fans down in South Florida went absolutely ballistic. <laughs> you know, this guy, a college kid, nobody knows who he is. He comes to Florida. He's traded for Fitzy, you know, helped us go to the Stanley Cup final. And then Mark scores Two goals, his first NHL game, scored 50 in two years, then traded, I still never forget it, year 2000 in Calgary. I called you up with the good <laughs> yes, news. You yes, you did. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, uh, uh, you're traded for Roberto, with, with Ole Kavasha for Roberto Luongo and, uh, and Ole Jokic. Yes. So a uh, future Hall of Famer <laughs> and the all-time leading goal scorer, I think, in Panthers history. And... I remember Panther fans went ballistic that they traded Mark Parrish, and it just made me—it just made me laugh. Like it always just shows me that fans love who they have at that oh, time. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, and, and trust me, the Islander fans went ballistic in a little bit of a different way. It's hysterical. <laughs> I still—it's so funny to me how it, there's always every year there's always an article written by some reporter uh, out in New York, and the, you know the list of the top ten worst trades in Islander history, and it, it's—I'm always one or two. It all just depends on the it depends on uh, who's writing it and, and who hates you know which player. More or, or I should say Millbury more, uh, and uh, it's either that or the Yashin trade for the Char. <laughs> that makes one or two. It's hysterical to me, and yeah, it's what it is. Yeah, we're in uh, Calgary. I, I don't know if I've ever told you a story. So we're in Calgary and we're having the press conference for the trade, and Millbury is doing the press conference, and David Neal asked a question. David Neal, the Miami yeah. Herald. And David, remember, used to wear the really uh, colorful oh, outfits yeah. and stuff. And and Milbury is looking around. He goes, "I can't see. I can't see." And then uh, and then David waves. I'm right here. And Milbury looks at him. He goes, "Oh, how'd I miss it?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was just so funny. Um, you know what's really neat too? I was I was just thinking. So on July 3rd, 
I sent this to you, screen captures to both you and Todd Fitzgerald. What are the chances? So July 3rd, like 10 minutes before midnight, both you and Tom Fitzgerald out of the blue, send me happy 4th of July. Text. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like looking at this. I'm like, well, that's really kind of neat, you know? And then it like dawns on me, like who would have thought that in 1998, I would cover these two guys being traded heads up for each other. And here we are in the year 2020, 22 years ago. And with total coincidence within 10 minutes at like 1130 at night, I get text messages from you too. Oh, just, it's, it's bliss. It's nuts. The world's so funny. And, and I, here's a story that I, I, I don't think I've told much either. So after I got traded to Florida and I signed my dad and I flew down there uh, pretty much right away uh, to, and I used actually the, one of the, one of the DAs of Broward County uh, is a good, is a uncle of one of my best friends back here. And he's like, Hey, you know, just, uh, use my address, you know, it was, it was for, for taxes. So I hope, hope the IRS isn't listening to this. And uh, so so we land down there and we go into the, the enterprise or, oh no, it was, it was nationwide because it was our uh, national, national, car national, rental center. national car rental center. So so we get sent by, by the Panthers like, oh, go get a car here. You know, you'll get a deal with it. So I, we get into the rental car, we get into national and my dad and I are sitting there talking and I, 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 the guy in front of me, I'm like, Dad, Dad. What? I'm like, that's Tom Fitzgerald. He's like, what? <laughs> like, he's the guy. So I don't know if Tom heard me. Tom turns around. He's like, hey, Mark, how you doing? So literally, we're standing in line. And, uh, you know, I'm this young punk that just got traded, you know, for, the, for one of the leaders, you know, heart and soul guys everywhere he went. Tom guy, a guy that's just respected throughout the league. And, and he turns around, I was like, oh, hey, kid, how you doing? And just, I, I was terrified. He couldn't have been nicer. And, oh, yeah. and it was great. We had a good 10-minute conversation sitting there in line for our rental cars. And, and that was my first taste, uh, you know, in the NHL of, of the respect from player to player and how great he was. Oh, yeah. I was expecting him to, I don't know, turn around and punch me or whatever, be mad at me or anything like that. And he couldn't have been nicer. And, you know, that just my respect for that guy went through the roof uh, at that point. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, well, it's worked. It worked out for him. He went on, continued to have an incredible career, became the first captain, I believe the first captain in Predators I, history. Yeah, I think and, so. Uh, now, now the general manager of the New Jersey Devils. Um, but he really, I mean, you, what you mentioned there, I'm, I'm like, you know, 18 years old. How old would I have been? I would have been 21 when I started covering the Panthers. And I just remember being this young punk and, and knew nothing and pretended like I knew everything. (laughs) And I just remember, you know, you you know how you remember like the players that treated you like a veteran or an adult compared to the players that, that treated you like a child. Um, Tom was always that guy that you would have never known that I was some 21 year old that knew nothing. He would talk to me like I was just any beat writer. And, uh, and you know, it's one of those probably reasons why 22 years later, I'm still tight with him. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's just ironic that, you know, here I am doing this podcast with you and, and, uh, two guys that just shows you our longevity. Um, you know, the other thing that shows our longevity, uh, that I did it, did I ever send you your your rookie year VHS tape for your father, oh, yeah. or do I still have it in my attic? No, okay, yeah. oh, so yeah. you have Dad's, it. Dad's got it. He's got that thing under lock and key. He'll never, he'll never. Leave. I think there's a reason he still has a VCR, and it's only for that tape. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just neat. Like when I was moving out of my condo, I sent Mark a um, uh, a text message, and I'm like, "You're not gonna believe what I just found. <laughs> I found the Mark Parrish 1998 rookie tape that teams send to beat writers to try to." 
say, hey, vote for this guy for the call. Yeah. And I happen to find that just sitting there and I'm like, do you want it or should I toss it or what? And you're like, actually, I think my dad probably yeah. take it. So I think I sent and it. And I didn't even know. So I didn't even know they did stuff like that. Like, you know, it's one of those things behind the scenes where you're like, oh, they do that? <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, no, they did. They trust me. I remember the year that Chris Pronger won the, uh, the, I think the heart, that was, that was one of the big things. T- the, the blues, his agency there. It was like, and I remember getting this thing. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That'd be a good pick. I'll go right. for the defenseman for the heart. So, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, so I'm down in your basement and you know, obviously you have a lot of cool sports, um, sports, uh, you know, memorabilia and things like that. But with the stuff that I was, that I you know, got giddy over. It was like seeing stuff like your guitar signed by Nickelback and your Super <laughs> Troopers po- props and Beer Fest and your Garth Brooks hockey jersey. And I think you had a Morneau twins jersey yep. down there. Um, you Judah and the Lion, all yeah. that stuff. I mean, just do, do, even you, I mean, does that stuff, you know, that that almost shows your personality just as much as all the hockey stuff? Yeah, you know, every time. Uh, uh, as people kind of ask me about this, I just remember it, it goes again, go back to, back to Hedekin and, uh, Hedekin, like the bare naked ladies came to town and we went to the show and all of a sudden he's, yeah. And he's like, we go back there and they all know him and I'm starstruck. Like, wait a minute, how do you know? And, and I, I, I wish I remember exactly what he said, but it was, he just like, Barry, don't worry. You'll play long enough where you're going to meet some of these guys too. And and you do. And it, it'll blow your mind when, you know, I got a chance to meet, uh, meet these guys and, and Garth Brooks and, and the Nickelback and then become friends with them. Uh, you know, you, you realize, hey, like they're hockey players. And it's always that, wait, you, you know who I, I am? Like, no, 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 you guys are rock stars or Judah and the Lie. You know, these guys, like I... I Last thing on earth when I when I meet these people is expect them to actually know me and uh, still one of my favorite moments was you know with the Garth Brooks I jumped on board that teammates for kids instantly growing up a huge Garth Brooks fan uh, and so we were the the Islanders were the first team out of hockey to get it was myself and Adrian O'Coin and uh, you know, knowing Adrian O'Coin he's the one that did all the talking and I just kind of wrote down what each what each player said that they contribute or you know in which way they would contribute and, and one day after practice uh, we both got a phone call and and I don't I never answer if I don't know who the number is and um, didn't answer it on voicemail I'm like yeah there's uh, yeah hey Mark. Uh, uh, I just wanted to call and thank you, uh, you know, you and Adrian, what you guys did for the honors. Oh, oh, by the way, it's Garth. Uh, oh, Garth Brooks. Um, and, uh, you know, I just want to thank you. I think it's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, here's my number. Uh, it's my house number. And if you call and, and if a woman answers, her name is Trish, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> fucking Trish, you what? Like, I'm like, I, I'm just giddy. And, you know, like, I get off this voicemail and I call Adrian. I'm like, did you get a voicemail? He's like, we're just, we're like schoolgirls. We're just like, holy shit, we got a phone call from Garth Brooks and he's telling us to call him back on his house. What the hell? You know, it was, it's one of those, yeah, I, I, I guess we've made it moments. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you were you on the Panthers team? I think we were at the forum one year, and like Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jay Moore were like walking through the locker room because they were buddies with Scott Tinkler yep, or something. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. That was like I'm like, and I just remember uh, so when the when the uh, Penguins won in San Jose in the finals a couple of years ago, Cuba Gooding Jr. was walking on the ice right behind me <laughs> to get interviews after the game, and I turned around to him like, I met you in 1998. <laughs> 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 oh man, it was just yeah. funny. Um, 
let me, let's let's talk. Uh, uh, you know, not to segue into something more serious, but I, I did want to talk to you about something that I really, until sitting down with you, never knew was an issue was, and that is painkillers. Yeah. And um, you know, and you said that this was a problem well before Derek Bugard passed away, yeah. um, and that that this really was probably what scared you off of it was watching what happened to Bugard. Yeah, it, you know, it was. You know, it's one of those things that uh, we were in it together, um, you know, and, and before I, you know, looking back now, getting that the, the chance to look back, something that started before him, uh, you know, I started to uh, abuse them uh, in 2004 during the full year lockout uh, was probably when I really started to abuse them. And uh, of course, uh, you know, of course, you know, the, hey, the doctors were prescribing me them, so I can't be addicted. I mean, it's not an addiction. Well, you know, you, you also look at how well you're manipulating the system, you know, how many different doctors the teams have. And, you know, you use the dentist, you use all this, and you go from one to the next to them not knowing, you know, what that I've already done this. So, of course, yeah, you know, the role I played in front of the net, them, them understanding that and, and, and having the bumps and bruises that I had and, uh, the battle scars, you know, of course they were, they, they also understand that this is a job and a career that, uh, you have a small window for that none of them want to step in the way of your career, or get in the way of it for God's sakes and, and want to help, uh, each player. And then it just got worse and worse. And, and when Derek and I, we were doing the exact same things. And I actually remember, um, and then, yeah, well, and, and even past, you know, the NHL, my last few years when I was playing, you know, in the American League, of course, the doctors down there are like, oh, here's Mark Paris in the NHL. Okay, oh, you're used to getting this? Well, okay, how many do you need? You know, what strength? I mean, everybody's the same thing, right? They, they, uh, they, there's trust in the players, or there was trust in the players that we weren't uh, manipulating the systems as we were. And uh, after Boogie uh, and I had uh, gone through um, – my withdrawals, which were effing hell. Uh, I'm so thankful. My wife, you know, saved my life from those. And that summer was just, oof, uh, I, I hardly remember it. I just remember sweating and wanting to sleep a lot. Uh, and um, the stories came out where, where Bugard's, you know, parents and these lawsuits and everything fell in the wilds, doctors. And I remember calling up Doc Peterson and saying, hey, if, if you need a player you know, if you want to call me up, you know, I'll, I'll gladly, uh, you know, tell the story because I, at that point I had realized, uh, you know, it, 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 maybe, yeah, you could put some blame on the doctors, but we were manipulating them so well. I mean, I was doing it hand in hand. I was even doing it worse uh, than Boogie. That's the thing that blows my mind. You know, that, that big beast of a man, you know, got to a point and I somehow survived it, uh, you know, to if I would be on their side and you can gladly put me in a court of law, call me up as a defendant, whatever you want to do, because I knew how much we were manipulating those doctors firsthand. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Like I look back at, at a lot at, at Boogie and I think, I think back to a lot of text messages between him and I, even the day he passed away. Um, and seeing him at the state fair a couple of weeks before he went to yeah. rehab the year before and ha having no idea. And I think about how oblivious I was at the time and it still pains me to the steel. And it brings me back to, you know, a quote that Chris Hockey said to me about you is that a lot of times Chris Hockey, who um, I have grown an immense amount of respect for just in the art, in, in the process of, 
of writing this story and reporting on this story. But he said, a lot of times I feel like I, I failed, Mark, yeah. and I'm glad that failure didn't end up in tragedy. And, you know, I bet a lot of your friends felt that way, which is why you said that it almost had to be Lawton, yeah. right? Yeah, in no offense to, to Chris or anyone else. I mean, I, I wasn't even, my wife couldn't convince me. Uh, so really, they didn't stand a chance. And uh, I, that it sickens me when I hear things like that. Uh, you know, uh, just so thankful that it didn't result that way because I, I feel horrible for those, for him and my, my good friends and close friends for feeling the guilt and, and the shame of, of, of maybe not being able to help me. And it just goes back to, honestly, I don't, if it weren't Lawton, I, I don't think it would have happened. If anyone else was there, you name it, I would have I punted off. But because uh, of the respect, the friendship, the love I have for Brian, and he guided me for the majority, if not all, of my career, even when he he went on his GM, you know, I, I still called him. I, I still, you know, uh, asked him questions. I still referred back to him. I wanted to get his opinion. So if, if it weren't him, because of that trust I have with him and the guidance I've had with him, it just wouldn't have worked. And it was just a godsend. The stars aligned that he was out there. I'm so thankful that he had the courage again, which I didn't realize I didn't even think about it first uh, until I really read the article about how much pressure and, and, and how, how hard it was just for him to stand up to me because, again, the friendship, the love that's there. But I, I, I owe that man my life. Here's a great quote from Chris Hockey that didn't make the story, not to make you, make you touch, but he goes, I see how happy he is now. I see how clear he is now. I could feel the pride from him when he won, won the initials game, when he's present for the show, <laughs> stressing the word present. I'm so relieved that he has taken this turn and done the right thing for himself, and he's resumed the real Mark Parrish. I don't mind telling you, I was very, very frightened for him. I didn't know how to help him. I love this guy. I literally love this guy, but I couldn't find... My, get myself to help him other than passive aggressive ways i kept telling myself there are people much closer to him that could tell him that i waited for them to do it and i'm grateful they did it really i mean it just shows what people think yeah and it's it's humbling it really is um uh, you know i love that guy i love all those guys Corey and meat sauce aj all those guys even 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 abbott but don't tell anybody (laughs) <laughs> you know what what those guys have done for me how they and how they've helped my career uh and again it, it just it adds it it's it's a it's a guilt that i don't mind having i guess if i put it you know because i feel horrible yeah. for putting them in that position for 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 just i i've never wanted people to worry about me like i got it i got it good i'm good you know i've, I've always been fine i've always kind of been a bit of a uh, a lone wolf, a lot of stuff, marched to the beat of my, beat of my own drum. And, and uh, you know, the last thing I ever would want to do is, is put strain, concern, uh, any, kind of, any kind of concern on my friends. And I'm just, I think I'm more thankful that I got help uh, because now my, now my wife, my, you know, my brother, you, uh, you know, my good friends can rest easy now. I'm more I'm I'm happier I think about that than I am uh, about myself yeah yeah interesting and if you haven't read the story again I highly recommend it Um, you know a couple more minutes in the show but the one thing I did want to ask you on is um, is you know the anecdote in rehab when you told your psychiatrist at the time (laughs) and she goes she goes so what do you do and you're like well I own a vodka company and she like burst out laughing and you're like and my wife sells wine. <laughs> um, 
But yet from that point on, Mark, you said that you mentally prepared yourself in rehab to make sure that you could still, because you're the founder of a vodka company that you are very, one, very proud of, obviously, but two, what it also does in the community, donating proceeds to the local local, uh, youth sports and things like that. Yeah, no, for sure. It was, uh, uh, and I, I was obviously nervous. Tell my psychiatrist that, and then I had to go up and tell my therapist, and and they would ask me one question. It was, well, are you going to continue on? And and for the reasons you just said, I, I, I yeah, I, I'm keeping it. It's my baby. I made that vodka, and I'm proud of of the of of the vodka that it is. It's a high end. It's a very very good vodka. I mean, who else? Who's going to know vodka better than an alcoholic in the first place? And. Um, uh, it was right then and there. It was okay. Then let's prepare for it. You, I mean, it's it's probably going to be tougher than, than most people coming out of this, but let's prepare for it. Let's let's get a good strong base into how you're going to handle it. Let's put a game plan together, and we did. And another reason uh, was that you know, in talking in uh, you know the therapist, uh, the psychiatrist, were about you know how am I you going to go live your life? I I still want to see all my friends. This is my issue, not theirs. I still want to go to the Christmas parties and, and let the family. I don't want to be the reason that, that the whole family's not drinking because of me. And I certainly still want to hang out with my friends. So there was there was no doubt that I had to prepare to be around it. And, and if I'm preparing to be around it, then why can't I take it one step further and continue on with this company that I love and truly believe in? And so that's, that's where it's been. And I'm so thankful, uh, blown away how... I, I've never once got, I have had an issue with people drinking around me. Not once. I've never had to ask my wife, like, you know what, hey, uh, you know, can you just, you know, no wine tonight with dinner, uh, anything like that. I've been fine with that. My, it's, it's my issues have been more habitual. It's all of a sudden the first time, the first time I fired up the grill in, in the summer and hands started itching and I, I started to get a craving and it was like, uh, Nikki, you got the steak. I'm going for a walk. <laughs> Went for a walk, walked the dog, made a few phone calls, talked to some of my buddies, to, you know, talked to my sponsor, uh, calmed down, uh, came back, finished the finished off the steaks, had dinner, and, and the rest of the night was was done. But yeah, so I'm I'm so thankful for that because uh, I don't want to turn my back on my friends. That that to me would have made it that much harder had I been like also no, no you guys got it then there's, then there's the guilt and shame of forcing others to not drink if they wanted to hang out with me or if I want to hang out with them and I, that was something that I knew right away that was just not a chance I mean the one thing is it's so clear how much support you have and we saw it with the you know you know the the overwhelming positive response to the story uh, from people that know you, people that don't, people that you helped, uh, people that you inspired, and and hopefully you feel like it, that you have the support and know that you always do. Does, does talking about it help, or does it become exhausting? It helps so much. Just this, just this conversation. Obviously, I was feeling a little anxiety, and I'm sure some of that anxiety was actually just you know coming out and talking about it again. I don't know how long that'll last. Yeah. Uh, and again, that 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 thought in the back of my head, like. How can I get out of this? <laughs> the whole addict's <laughs> brain, always, always trying to get out, always trying to find a little white lie, why I couldn't do a thing, why I can't do anything. Uh, how much, just this, and during this conversation, my anxiety went from pretty high, and, and right now I feel great. Uh, so, yes, talking about it helps immensely, and I can't thank you enough for, uh, for, for giving me this outlet. Oh, no, absolutely. Yep, nope, and I, I won't rip on you for causing my dishwasher to break last week or anything like that. I don't want to. I love that one coffee bean. Who'd have known? Yeah. 
I told the story on my last podcast, but I turned my ringer on because Mark was going to call me back for just a quick follow-up interview. And I was grinding coffee when he called me and my ringer startled me like I was 100 years old. And one <laughs> coffee bean somehow landed in my dishwasher and jammed the whole thing. So uh, it made for a funny uh, picture because Mike Greenlee came I and loved fixed it. it so. uh, hey, that was um, a great picture. You know, Mark, you were, you, as I tell everybody, you were just such a good, genuine, humble, caring, kind, jovial, hilarious person. And, uh, you know, just a warm guy. And, uh, you know, I just, again, really honored that you and, and your wife, Nikki, entrusted me to, to write this story. And I'm just so proud of the courage that you had. And, and just the reaction to the story, I think, just shows how many people you're helping along the way here. Yeah, thank you so much, my friend. And, 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 and again, I get every time I get a thank you for telling my story, there's someone passing it on to you for the way you wrote the story, the way you told my story. So thank you so much. Well, I really do appreciate it. And uh, again, that's Mark Parrish, uh, former NHLer. Highly recommend reading the story at The Athletic. Uh, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. And don't forget, if you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source and receive two all-access subscriptions for just the price of one. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.